Hey there, and welcome to this uh, edition of the Friends Indeed podcast. I'm Rabbi Joshua Levine Grader. Nice to have you with us. I'm the executive director here at Friends Indeed. So we provide uh, supportive services uh, to meet critical needs for those of our neighbors experiencing homelessness and uh, poverty here in uh, the city of Pasadena, California. And uh, it's really great to to have you uh, join us today for what I think will be uh, a very interesting uh, to you conversation uh, that I'm having with another local uh, leader uh, here in Pasadena. Um, And uh, it's it's a wide-ranging conversation, and I'm I'm really looking forward to you hearing it. Um, So it is good to be back after a... uh, few weeks hiatus, uh, not uh, planned. Um, I came down uh, with COVID, like so many millions of people, uh, after two and a half years uh, of not getting it. Uh, I did uh, did come down with it, and it was a pretty heavy dose. Uh, I was sick in bed uh, for 11 days. Um, I'm still pretty tired um, and uh, really kind of uh, dragging. But I'm, I'm thinking about, um, so that's the reason I haven't had a podcast in the last few weeks. And um, you know, I've just been thinking about what it must be like uh, for someone who is on the streets or uh, living in, in poverty um, to come down with this or with any illness, really, and, and perhaps not to have health care and not to have um, the opportunities uh, that I am fortunate uh, to have. So I've just thought about that as I come back um, and uh, join you here. So um, so today I'm, I'm fortunate uh, to be able to have a conversation uh, with Ann Miskey. She is the CEO of uh, Union Station Homeless Services here in Pasadena. Uh, they are the largest uh, service provider, uh, not only in Pasadena, but in the uh, entire San Gabriel Valley. And um, we partner with them uh, a great deal. And, uh, but I, w- I wanted to talk with her uh, for a few reasons. One is it's always good, I think, to hear what some of the other uh, agencies are doing uh, here in the area and uh, to t- make sure people know how we are uh, partnering and, and working together. But also they're doing some uh, uh, larger projects uh, around housing um, both permanent supportive and interim or bridge housing that uh, I wanted people to hear about. And um, we also kind of get into what are some of the barriers here in our city of Pasadena uh, to make any sort of headway in um, uh, finding opportunities for more uh, interim housing, uh, which essentially there are none, and uh, permanent supportive housing, of which there are very limited numbers, and um, currently most of them are all uh, filled uh, with people, uh, which is great, but uh, it doesn't help the over 500 folks uh, experiencing homelessness here in Pasadena. So we talk about that and, um, you know, uh, try to uh, put together some ideas of how we might uh, move things together and uh, where everyone here might uh, be able to, to join in because ultimately it's going to be the citizens of our city, uh, the residents uh, and the constituents of uh, our city council members who do control um, really how uh, things happen uh, in, in our city uh, around zoning and housing 
And so uh, we, we talk about that. So I invite you to stay with us and um, hear the conversation uh, with Ann Miskey. So, Anne, I really appreciate uh, you taking time uh, today to join the podcast. And um, just to remind folks, uh, this is Anne Miskey. She's the CEO of Union Station uh, uh, Homeless Services here in Pasadena. Um, so, Anne, I know you guys have been busy over there. Um, maybe just want to update us on you know, some of the new initiatives and some of the, the new um know, housing and, uh, and and bridge housing opportunities that you guys have, have launched in the last year or so. Absolutely. And thank you, uh, Joshua. It's great to be here today. Uh, yeah, we've really grown quite substantially over the last few years. I think COVID, as hard as it was for everybody, presented some new opportunities because, you know, one of the first things we were all told in COVID was stay home to stay safe. Well, if you don't have a home, you even become more vulnerable than you already are. So thankfully, the, the county, the state really pulled together to provide some new housing opportunities, or at least interim, short-term housing opportunities for people. Um, one of the first ones was using hotels. And that has been tremendous because what it's enabled us to do as service providers is to give people a much more dignified place to stay, uh, privacy, their own room, their own bathrooms. Often they had microwaves, you know, coffee makers, those kinds of things. But above all, they could shut their door and they could lock their door and they had that sense of dignity and pride. And what we saw was people were much more willing to go into a room of their own rather than sleep with, you know, 50, 60, 70 other people in a big room. Um, as a result of that, we've continued to use hotels as a real, again, interim short-term solution, what we used to call shelters. We no longer call them that. Um, and we have we are working with some of the cities in the San Gabriel Valley, as well as Northeast Los Angeles, um, where the cities have purchased motels, hotels, and then we provide the services. And again, to great success. It's been a wonderful model, and it is something we would love to see happen here in Pasadena. Yeah, uh, Pasadena is in desperate need of more short-term interim housing for people who are presently living on the streets. Yeah. So can you, because I, I do this a lot, uh, trying to make sure people understand the difference between uh, bridge housing, between permanent supportive, and, and then affordable housing. So the, the the motels that you've been um been uh, contracted for uh to to provide the services just tell folks w- what what kind of housing is that and who who are the people that are 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 being placed in, in these units yes so the hotels natural factor being used for two different purposes and sometimes they evolve so initially they were used as interim or bridge housing Again, what we used to call shelter, the difference, the reason we don't call it shelter anymore is because we want it to be a bridge to permanent housing. So it's not we're just warehousing people and they're staying there. 
we're actually actively working with those people while they're in interim housing to get them into permanent housing. So some of the hotels were set up during COVID. They were just the short-term housing. But it was so successful that what the state did was they funded a program for people to purchase the hotels, use them in the short term as interim housing, but after three to five years, convert them into studio apartments for people. So some of the hotels have already converted. So they are permanent housing. They are people's place. They rent. They pay 30% of their income. Nobody gets free housing. Uh to stay there and they have their own little studio apartment with kitchens, bathrooms. Some of the others have stayed as interim because again, the need for interim is also great. We need both permanent and short-term housing. Um, in our case, the hotels that we're providing services at, um, two of them, no, I take that back, four of them um, are moving into permanent housing eventually. So they will be converted, but now short-term. We are also looking in Pasadena, and we would love to have happen, is a motel that we would use as permanent interim housing so that it wouldn't convert because really we don't have enough short-term housing here. So it, they can be both. Um, for now, short-term, most of them are converting to permanent housing. So we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we will continue our conversation uh, with Ann Miski. So please stay with us. Uh, this is the Friends Indeed podcast. I'm Rabbi Joshua Levine Grader. We'll be right back. So we are coming to the end of our year, and of course that means our winter appeal uh, is out there, and uh, we need everyone's help uh, to support the great work we do at Friends Indeed. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, if you've been a volunteer, if you read our weekly email, if you've been a supporter and uh, you like what we do and want to continue to help us uh, to end this year strong and to make sure that we're able to uh, achieve our goals uh, in 2023, I invite you to please uh, consider making a donation. You can go to our website, friendsindeedpas.org. Every dollar counts. We have an ambitious goal. Uh, of raising $350,000 for our uh, end-of-year appeal. Um, So please uh, do your part. And uh, we are so grateful, and thanks uh, for all your support. We continue to do together what we cannot do alone. Now let's uh, get back to the show. So welcome back. Uh, As I continue the conversation with Anne, I asked her what she thought some of the largest barriers were to trying to make a dent in interim housing uh, and getting that built and supported uh, here in Pasadena? Yeah, that's a great question, Josh, and, and something we really struggle with. And I think there's a couple of things. One, we have a lot of people in this community who are incredibly caring and compassionate. We get a huge amount of support volunteers, donors, all of those things. So there is a real heart in this city which we can never forget. But for us to do what it would take to house Pasadena, Pasadenians, Pasadena citizens, not people who have imported into our community, but people who have lived here, yep. to get everybody housed actually wouldn't take that much. You know, we have just over 500 people experiencing homelessness, you know, people, local people. Yep. But there has been and continues to be resistance. And 
I will say that um, there have been a couple of city councilors who have, you know, been wonderful about understanding the need and really advocating for more housing and doing more. You know, I want to call out the late John Kennedy, who was a real housing advocate and had, I think, more supportive and low-income housing in his district than any uh, councillor. Um, but there's a lot of resistance to having anything in their, in districts. Um, and it's that resistance. It is, you know, not in my backyard yep. that keeps us from being able to house all the people that are out on the street. You know, I mentioned interim housing. We have a building and since COVID, we can't, it can't be full. Um, at the most, it can house around 55 to 60 people pre-COVID. Now that's much less because the health department has said you can't put people that close together. Uh, we have one family sh shelter in, in, in town and it, you know, it can house 15 families and we know there are a lot more. So we desperately need permanent housing to put people in and we desperately need interim housing and we need the city the, our city councillors, our city governments to step up and do what needs to be done and frankly, what is right to do. Um, the housing department, we work with them. They're wonderful, but, you know, they're limited as well by what our sure. leaders um, do. So, yeah, it's a case of we need to have the will to do it as a city and frankly, the courage to do it. Yeah. So, um, that, that those are excellent points, and I, I, uh, you know, I'm known to be a little more negative uh, is not the right word, but a little more uh, uh, pessimistic, if you will, having been in this city for almost 20 years, and and before coming to Friends Indeed, you know, working uh, as an advocate uh, from the clergy side, and you know, going to city council meetings and supporting those amazing. The citizens of our city that that are have you know that they're just relentless and uh, and very constantly optimistic. I mean, it's very inspiring. Uh, the, the advocates that I I met and I've worked with and that you know um, who go to these city council meetings every week and who write the letters and who uh, organize and you know it's the long it's the long game, but at the same time. Um, you know, it's it's how do we um, how do we talk to those folks uh, who want you know would if when asked you know would you want to solve the homelessness problem? And of course we would. You know, everyone wants to, but you know uh, how as long as it's not you know next door, My next backyard. Door, but you know, I. Mars Place was before both of our our times, uh, but you know that that seems to me in our time to have been the most successful uh, uh, building of permanent supportive housing for families in a beautiful neighborhood that had you know Councilwoman McAustin, you know, but it took a long time. I know mm -hmm. to do that. And I just wish people could could see that, you know, that that's a model of like we're not building SROs. We're, this is a beautiful uh, uh, place and, and it's right in a lovely neighborhood. And that's where people should be living. Exactly. I think one of the other barriers that I didn't mention besides, you know, sort of the people who resist 
is there are so many myths out there right now about homelessness and it's pervasive. Yeah. People believe that everybody experiencing homelessness has a mental illness and is addicted. Yeah. And therefore you don't want those people. And what about our children? We hear all of this. Well, the fact is that a, the majority of people are neither of those things who experience homelessness um, loss of job and, and low wages are the number one causes of homelessness in our in our city. Um, but the fact is that housing is so healing for people. And frankly, there are more people with mental illness and addiction who live in your neighborhood already, yeah. but you don't know because they're in a home. Yeah. And so you mentioned Marv's Place. We get people all the time knocking on the door at Marv's Place, wondering if they can rent an apartment there. It is that beautiful. Mm-hmm. there are no problems in the neighborhood. There's, you know, it's, it's nothing. And um, so if people truly understood what homelessness is about, what the true causes of it are um, and what housing does to people, how it heals people. And also remember there's 24 seven staff. Mm-hmm. We've probably all had a neighbor who's a, you know, pain in the rear. And what can we do about it? Really nothing. And it's frustrating. If you're next to one of our buildings and, you know, there's a problem with the neighbor, you call us and we deal with it instantly. That's why we have hundreds of landlords who work with us, who love us and say it's way better working with you than just regular tenants, because we know we can call someone if there's a problem. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I would love to invite anybody who'd like to do a tour of Marv's Place, a tour of our family center, our adult center to meet people, to understand these are human beings. These are our neighbors. These are our parents, our brothers, our sisters, our children. Um, They're not, you know, all mentally ill addicts. Um, Some of them have issues, but again, so do people in houses. So yeah, it doesn't affect a neighborhood. And there's been so much research and study done on that. It doesn't pull a neighborhood down. It pulls people up. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And I just want to reiterate what you said, make sure I get it right. Number one causes are loss of jobs and low wages. Yeah, economic or people who are living on fixed incomes. Correct. So people with some kind of disability, could be physical disability, um, and our seniors. Yeah. So those are the people who are becoming homeless in record numbers. And women, you know, women fleeing domestic violence. There are lots of causes, but those are the main ones. It's economic. People yep. can't afford housing, period. Yep. And that's what we're seeing, too. Uh, our food pantry has, you know, we're seeing uh, over 500 households a week that are coming uh, through mm-hmm. our food pantry that has skyrocketed since since COVID um, and, and loss of jobs and inability to kind of get back on their feet. The folks who are seeking rental assistance, you know, the, the mm-hmm. moratoriums ending, um, you know, those numbers have doubled and tripled. Um, yeah. You know, just, just to, to finish up, I, I always, and maybe I should have started with this, um, you know, to, to share a story of, of one of your clients or someone, you know, that, that, that you've worked with or that you've seen, you know, uh, anyone who's said, you know, that, that you guys have helped. I always try and to talk about the the humanity of people. Um, so to close, do you have someone? Oh my gosh. Yeah, there are, there are, there are, there are so, there are so many people. Um, 
one of the big issues that we face are encampments. And um, we had sort of up in Northeast LA, not in, not in Pasadena, but very close. Uh, we had a huge encampment and we opened some of the hotels that I talked to you about and the entire encampment moved into hotels with no problems. There were no, it was done in such a dignified way. And I got a call out. The city was wonderful. Um, and we moved the people in and I remember talking to a couple of the people. One was an older woman working full time, but at a low paying job. So she'd been living in her car and I talked to her and she had fixed her room up. She had, you know, pictures and everything. And she just talked about, I can sleep, I can go to bed and I can feel safe. And her son was struggling and she was able to help him as a result of being more stable herself. And she said, it's just given me a new lease on life. She's looking for her own place, but here's a woman you know, she was a woman in her 60s, working full time, but low income. And then there was another gentleman, same thing, stuck in an encampment. He had lost his job and he'd lost hope. You know, that's the thing about living out on the streets. Eventually, you just society disdains you and hates you and you're accused of things and he couldn't get ahead. A young man and his life had fallen apart for a variety of reasons. Um, and once he was living in the hotel, he was had enough feeling of safety and security and he knew where he was going to sleep that night. It was going to be safe. He went out and got a full-time job in the construction industry and is making a really good wage and is now, you know, on his own. Mm. So those are just a couple little stories. Um, you know, we have dozens more. And when we talk to people, the first thing they'll tell us is I feel safe. Yes. I, and you need that feeling before you can deal with anything else in your life. If you don't know where you're going to sleep that night, if you're afraid you're going to be attacked or raped, you just are constantly in flight or fight mode and it's terrifying. So again, housing is health. Housing is healing. Yeah. So, and I really appreciate you, you taking the time and I just want to thank you uh, for all the work that Union Station does and uh, has been doing uh, for so many decades uh, here in this city. Um, and we're grateful, you know, at Friends Indeed, we partner with you. We know we, you know, our outreach teams, our case managers, our housing locators, navigators, you know, we're, we're constantly working together. And thank you uh, for all your work. Uh, and I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much, Josh. And right back at you. We're so grateful for our partnership, um, our organizations, but also uh, just to be able to call you friend and, yes. and colleague in this very tough work that yes. we're determined to keep doing. So yeah. thank you. I appreciate you right back at you. <laughs> Thanks, Anne. Thanks. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Friends Indeed podcast. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation uh, with Ann Miske. Um, it's our goal on this podcast to educate and inform and 
call for advocacy and really just uh, dive deeper into the issues uh, that are facing our most vulnerable neighbors and uh, continue to try and uh, provide solutions and avenues uh, towards solutions. So if you like this podcast, please do share it with the family, with the friends, uh, like us on social media, visit our website, friendsindeedpas.org, make a donation. Tell your friends and uh, come back uh, and visit us again. So that's going to do it. We'll see you next time. I'm Rabbi Joshua Levine Greater. Thanks for being with us.